Hey everybody, my name is Pete. Welcome back to another episode of Level 99, a podcast about all things tech-related, DevOps, cloud, automation, you name it. This week is going to be an interesting topic and one that is going to definitely get some of the gray beards a little excited. It's going to be about automation with mainframes. And I am excited to announce that with us today, we have Brian from IBM. Brian, I'm going to pass it over to you, let you introduce yourself. And as well as a fun icebreaker, you mind telling us the most fun or proudest project you ever worked on? Yeah, for sure. First off, thanks, Pete, for having me. Um, Very excited to be able to talk about some of the things that we're doing in terms of automation um, against the mainframe, specifically IBM Z. Um, IBM Z system specific uh, type of mainframe, but yeah, a little bit about me. So I've been at IBM for a little bit over 10 years now. I've always been working on the mainframe specifically on a product called IMS, which is information management system, but always on kind of the modernization side of things. So, you know, I started off on a project there called SOAP Gateway, um, which is in the name is a SOAP server, um, basically exposing some backend uh, mainframe applications in COBOL or PL1 or Java with uh, SOAP services so that you can invoke invoke those uh, applications from other external uh, business products that you might be hosting elsewhere on other systems. Aside from that, I've also been able to work on general kind of packaging for some of our products on the mainframe, as well as doing some DevOps work in terms of not just DevOps, like internal DevOps, but also working with a lot of clients to help them understand how they can really leverage DevOps, uh, more modern DevOps tooling with their mainframes and mainframe applications, other mainframe products. And then that's kind of where I kind of started shifting over into more of the automation side too, right? Obviously with DevOps involves a lot of automation, a lot of scripting. So then starting to explore what, from an IBM perspective, some of the technologies that we had there and Again, working on integration with our product with IMS and exposing it, leveraging some of those tools. And then that's where, you know, Ansible kind of came into the picture, right? So in terms of, you know, the most exciting project, it would definitely have to be this one that I'm working on now. So so I forgot to mention, I am uh, the architect and development lead for an offering called Red Hat Ansible Certified Content for IBM Z. That's the current uh, team that I'm working with now. And what we do is we basically work on providing, we deliver a bunch of different Ansible collections specifically for the mainframe. So we've got, we started off with our first collection, which was really just to provide some of the very basic building blocks um, to be able to use Ansible to interact with the mainframe, right? To do some of the the basic things that that anyone would want to do, right? Uh, Using Ansible, like being able to um, submit commands, invoke programs, as well as just interface with different files and things like that on on the mainframe. So that's really what we have this collection called the ZOS Core Collection. And that's really what that provides. The reason that that was necessary is because, you know, the mainframe, specifically ZOS, uh, ZOS is the operating system that we run on IBM Z. First off, of course, it's a very different architecture, right? The S390X architecture. And when you're dealing with a mainframe, that side of the house and dealing with ZOS, you're not dealing with, you know, directories and flat files like you would n- normally have with like a Linux environment. You're dealing with data sets. You've got job sc- schedulers. You've got programs running in address spaces and all of that in different subsystems. And the interaction with the mainframe is very different than any other type of platform. So 
a lot of the interfaces weren't really there, right? To that Ansible could leverage out of the box. So that's really what we started working on and started providing with our ZOS core collection and, and providing some of that. So that was really exciting, right? It was really kind of game-changing being able to, you know, in the, the previous years been focusing a lot on very specific products um, and tools that were built for the platform, right? In terms of automation and DevOps solutions and things like that. But now this is a chance for us to actually, we started looking outwards, right? Seeing what are the tools that folks are using across other platforms, right? That there's a lot of skill as well already out there in the workforce and how can we leverage that and provide the same type of experience for the mainframe. So, and we've, we've made a lot of progress there. And I'll talk a little bit more about some of the other collections that we have, but that's, that's really why, you know, this is really one of the most exciting projects that I've worked on thus far. That is actually really interesting and awesome. I, I love that. So just to make sure I understand it is you and your team actually support like the module for Ansible that directly goes off of the ZOS mainframe uh, software. Is that right? Am I understanding that That's correctly? absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. Our team, we, we own a couple of different um, collections that, you know, ship modules and roles and things like that and plugins. And then again, as part of this offering, we've got a number of different collections that are part of it. So we actually have other teams that we work with too. And I work with them to look at, okay, how can we improve some of the automation against your products, right? Your mm -hmm. tools. And let's let's start making some collections for them and then and put it all together as part of this offering that we can then provide to our mainframe customers. I'll mention some of those. Like I mentioned the ZOS core collection. That's one that we own, those base functions, features and functions there. We have the other one for IMS, which like I mentioned, information management system. That's a transaction manager and database for the mainframe. So we have some modules there. And then there's a couple other products. There's a product called CICS, which is another very popular transaction manager for the mainframe. We've got a collection for that. We've got, there's a tool called the Z Hardware Management Console. And this is a way, an interface for folks to be able to manage their actual Z hardware. So there's a collection mm -hmm. to be able to, to help do some of that. And it also helps manage not only ZOS environments of the Z operating system, but also Z Linux, because you can run Linux on, on mainframe as well. And then the, the couple other collections that we have, there's an automation product called System Automation, very kind of generic name there, but <laughs> it's, it's a very powerful tool. It's one of those, uh, a tool that runs on the mainframe that a lot of customers are using for monitoring. It, it provides a lot of reactive type of automations mm -hmm. and a lot of policy-based automation. So you'll have, you know, the most basic use cases, you know, monitoring for different types of commands or, or errors that come up and messages that come up on the system console and reacting to those things, right? Maybe your file system is getting full and you need to um, create a new file system or do a backup of some logs, things like that. And it kicks off all those types of things. So we've got a collection around that. And, and last but not least, there's this collection uh, called the IBM ZOSMF collection. And what ZOSMF is, is the ZOS management facility. And this is really a great piece of technology where we actually have a web interface that's hosted now by default on, on the mainframe in ZOS. And this basically gives you a new look and feel to interacting with the mainframe. So it's, again, it's a web UI. You're able to, to leverage a lot of different tools that typically customers would, more clients would use kind of, kind of the green screen, right? That black mm. and green terminal that, that yeah, yeah, yeah. folks, uh, that's kind of like their first image or, or thought when they're like, oh, how do I use the mainframe? It's always going to be this black and green terminal. But actually we have like a really nice 
web interface now, kind of this desktop interface. And mm-hmm. one of the automation tools that's provided with that is this thing called Workflows. So it's very similar to Ansible Playbooks, and this is very specific to the mainframe. So that collection interacts directly with a ZOSMF workflows to kind of again provide that bridge to interact with some existing automation that customers might have already there. Um, and then other REST APIs that, that ZOSMF provides. So again, very popular tool for, for customers who are using ZOSMF already today. So would you say when you guys first offer that solution for Ansible, and the way I'm picturing this is the module is just based off of like API calls off of the ZOS. Is that how you guys were able to map it? Yeah. So some of them are working like that. So <clears throat> what we're doing, I'll go back to the, the core collection. The core is really kind of our, our baby where we're doing, you know, pretty much the, the best kind of approach or the most ideal approach for how we would want to all of our collections to be implemented. But with the core collection, and like I mentioned, there's a lot of, of interfaces that we needed to, to develop because they weren't there, right, to, to connect into MVS. Essentially, so I'll give a little bit more context. Do we do have a Unixy side of, of the mainframe, which is called USS or Unix System Services? So that is one the initial way for us to establish that. SSH connection, right, for Ansible. And then once we're there, there's a key piece of technology under the covers that we use to interact between USS and MVS, and that's called ZOpen Automation Utilities, and that's ZOAU for sure. But what that is, is it essentially provides a bunch of low-level C interfaces um, that allow us to interact with MVS. So, And we expose also some command line utilities and Python interfaces through ZOAU. So What's nice about that is, for example, like I said, we have this concept of data sets and data set members, right? When we're dealing with like a storing data on, on ZOS and what ZOAU provides also is interfaces that are basically the same types of commands that you would have in, in Linux. So for example, when you do a LS, right, you ex- expect to be able to list all your files, right? In a particular mm-hmm. directory, we have a similar command called DLS for data set LS. So it'll list... Huh all the different data sets or data set members that you have on ZOS. So that that set of interfaces from ZOU is what we're using under the covers with our core collection to invoke all those underlying C interfaces um, for ZOS. And again, that's, I don't know how familiar you are with kind of developing our Ansible modules in general, but you know, those are all like Python based, right? Ansible is all built on Python. So we also leverage Python for ZOS. We have IBM-specific Python that we support for our customers called the IBM Open Enterprise SDK for Python. So that's one of our requirements. Mm-hmm. So so Python and ZOAU are the two basic things that you need on ZOS to be able to leverage more of the key capabilities from the collections that we have. But yeah, from there, basically, we're able to leveraging ZOAU and those underlying interfaces, we're basically able to do um, all the things that we want and interact with ZOS with Ansible. One of the key modules that we have too with our core collection is a module called ZOS MVS Raw. And what that allows us to do is actually invoke any type of ZOS program from Ansible with like AM, uh, YAML syntax. So stepping back a little bit, in the mainframe on ZOS, we have what's called a scripting language, what's called JCL job control language. And this mm-hmm. is a way for that 
that users usually kind of invoke programs, run different types of scripts, schedule things through the job scheduler. And basically, when you invoke a program, there's a bunch of different control fields that you need to specify in this script, right? The program name, the location of it, right? The library, as well as any other inputs that you need for it. And Basically, we, we've created an interface for that as in Ansible. And it's not just a one-to-one -one mapping we do um, because some of the, the fields that you have to provide when you're invoking a program are also things like where your temporary data sets are going to be so you can actually have like temporary scratch space, right? Things like that, where to output logs to right. or all your different output streams. Do you have, you have a really granular control um, of everything mm -hmm. basically on the mainframe. So we're doing, we're abstracting some of that as well within our, our Ansible modules. Cause one of the key things that we really wanted to achieve was not just having all of the capabilities that our mainframe system programs, programmers or application developers are already used to using, right? Um, we wanted to provide all that, but also make it easier. We mm -hmm. wanted to make it easier also for newcomers coming to the platform to be able to be productive right out of the gate without having to learn all of the intricate, you know, syntax rules and, and, and really get bogged down by all of that, right? We know how it is right. whenever we're learning right. something new and it's like, oh, <laughs> like I have to relearn all this grammar and syntax for this particular scripting language. And again, we know that Ansible is extremely, you know, with YAML, is extremely easy to understand and, and the more declarative type of model that, that is leveraged there, it makes it a lot easier for new people coming onto the platform. Yeah, that's for sure. Cause I can't really relate to things on the mainframe side because I've never touched a mainframe and never had the opportunity to do that yet. But in the past, whenever I needed to script anything, I would always use like shell scripting. But ever since I've got at least in with Ansible, it's just so much easier just to slap away with Ansible and pulling the modules I need rather than just go and just create a shell script and do it that way. So in, in that aspect, I, I can definitely relate to it making things easier for anyone to just pick things up. Uh, even at least when I would do anything in AWS, rather than just trying to use the CLI, which I do love the CLI, but Ansible just does it so seamlessly. And it's just Rather than going look up and find the parameters and feed all that the correct syntax, I can just do it off of Ansible. So in that in that aspect, I definitely understand and, and respect what you guys are doing. I think that's amazing. But the one thing I wanted to briefly touch base on is you were mentioning that on the mainframes, you don't have that granular control. Would you say because of that is due to security? Yeah, no. Yeah, there is a lot of security concerns and Im implications on on the mainframe. And yeah, earlier I was saying you do have you have a ton of control and you know granularity in terms of of our system programmers always controlling every aspect of the system. And so, oh, okay. And but sometimes that's that's overwhelming, right? You really mm -hmm. have to really have to have a whole a lot of experience and, you know, really be familiar with with the environment to be able to be comfortable mm -hmm. to pretty much do anything on the mainframe. So that's why there is a, a large learning curve whenever we have new folks joining the platform, um really to be comfortable mm -hmm. and be productive. So at least for your customers, how would you say their CI CD pipeline looks like with Ansible? Does it kind of look similar to how somebody would hook it up to a normal like server, just having Jenkins orchestrate that, 
put the credentials all in the vault and just point and shoot? Is that kind of how the the pipeline looks for your customers? That's how some of them are getting to. So with DevOps and using CICD, that's also sort of a new space in in the recent years. Again, with everything, right? We've got we've had historically a lot of very niche and specific technology developed for the platform. So in prior years, right, uh, a lot of customers were using mainframe specific tools to do some of that CICD type of automation, right? Even from the SEM side, there are things like, like for example, a, a very popular product is called ChangeMan, which is used for managing, you know, like COBOL and PL1 applications. And it it's used in the same way like GitHub is used, but also has a little bit of like application deployment capabilities and being able to do like mm-hmm. diffs of your application. That's a very common product that's used. And a lot of the deployment aspects of things in the past, a lot of stuff was really done manually because again, that all that granular control that Mm -hmm. the system programmers and the application teams, a lot of that one was since there's so much, a huge knowledge base that's required for your particular kind of area that was and a lot of times very siloed and segregated. So like your system programmer teams, your, your infrastructure management teams and your application teams. And, and then the folks who are actually even have admins for the particular products for like for IMS or for kicks or your DBAs, right? A lot of the times they're very siloed. So they didn't really have a whole lot of insight into each other's operations or, or how they even interacted with the product at that level. So that required a lot of manual intervention, getting folks out, oh, I'm an application developer. I need to deploy this application. Here's my artifacts. And then system programmer, you can go <laughs> deploy that for me, right? Because one, um, we don't have these this sense of like dynamic development environments. In most cases, right? A lot of customers have kind of a preset uh, number of environments for their application developers that are usually shared right between teams and things like that because you know resources are expensive on the mainframe and they usually kind of just pre-allocate all the resources that they think they need for the team and kind of hand them out that way so that's kind of where you know yeah previously there hadn't been a whole lot of automation around this and that again is why ansible is kind of exciting where customers are starting Mm -hmm. to see like oh we can actually do a lot of this in a more dynamic way we can start doing more of this self-service type of provisioning, not only with Ansible too, with a lot of other products that we're that we're also providing from the IBM side for to pro- provide more of this modernization. But yeah, nowadays, you know, our customers are starting to leverage more of the common distributed type of products and solutions. Jenkins is is very popular now. Travis CI, right? GitHub is is being more and more used. A lot of people are actually changing off of ChangeMan to GitHub. We we also have a, a version of GitHub that is also supported and runs on ZOS too. So we've got customers doing that. And then also- That's pretty cool. I love that. Yeah, yeah. And also starting to really leverage some of the other like CMDB systems using ServiceNow to really mm-hmm. tie all this stuff together. And that's where also Ansible is playing a a big role here is, as we know, Ansible is kind of like that orchestrator of orchestrators, right? Mm-hmm. It can pretty much come in and, and connect to everything, right? And that's also yeah. a really exciting area. But yeah, our customers are really starting to to look a little bit more like their distributed peers on the CICD side of things now. Before COVID, I used to go to a lot of these meetups, and one of them was a like a 
it's called, I think it was called like Ansible for my area, like a meetup okay. group. And there's one guy referred to Ansible as like the Lord of the Ring, right? The one that rules <laughs> them all. So when he said that, I was like, that is so true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that is so true. Yeah. So would you say the end state for a lot of your customers is that maybe use Snow or sorry, ServiceNow as like a trigger? So they put in a request and it triggers Ansible to do whatever tasks they need to do on the the mainframes. Is that kind of what they're trying to look to do? Yeah, there's we've actually got a few customers who are doing that today, but that is a very common common use case. I think just that whole self-service aspect of it, whether it be ServiceNow or Ansible controller, right? Or their own custom UIs, right? I think that that aspect of self-service is is really important. Um, but of course, ServiceNow provides a lot of that already out of the box. So that's that's one of the more popular solutions that they go for. But yeah, I would definitely say say so. That's again, being able to one of the key things with that is being able to alleviate a lot of the system programmers from some of those day-to-day types of requests that we're getting, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and alleviate all those manual tasks, right? We've seen, I think there's one case where one of our customers, they have an environment that they had to closely monitor in terms of access controls there. And what they did was they had, they had a particular reason for cycling the different user IDs that were required to access that system. So they got a lot of different new requests, right, for new user IDs there. And they would have to go in and, and check what user ID was allocated last and create a new user ID and kind of deauthorize the old one, right? And then give access to the new one. And that, again, was a manual process, but then they were able to work with their Ansible team who already had, who was familiar with Ansible and actually come up with that whole entire process. Someone who wasn't even familiar with the mainframe at all, right? I'm again, kind of harping on the, you know, the applicable skill that you have when you're using Ansible, you can kind of use it to write automation for any platform, but they were able to save hundreds of hours a month just with some of that automation. Their team is also thanking you for that because that would probably be a lot of hours on the weekends that they have to spend to do that. So I I get it. (laughs) You guys are like the unsung heroes right now for all those teams. (laughs) I like to think so. (laughs) Let's say I I want to do this, right? Let's say I want to set up Ansible for my mainframes. What are some common gotchas that you've noticed your customers that happen to them? Yeah, that's that's a really good question. So one of the things that happens pretty commonly is getting software for the mainframe isn't as straightforward as doing like a you know brew install or apt get or whatever, right? There's we don't, mm-hmm. first off we don't even have a package manager like that. <laughs> Oh wow! On the mainframe, installing things, you know, goes through a process called SMPE, and this is a way, you know, kind of the official process for pulling packages down in a particular format and all these different modules and laying them down in the correct data sets and things like that. So that's typically the preferred way of customers getting down their their software. So that usually takes a bit of time, right? And and figuring out exactly what levels of things that they need. But from that, once they have some of that. Um, Basically, you know, Ansible, when it comes into Unix system services, some of the things that we have to deal with are the unique environment variables and and traits that we have because 
everything is formatted. We have different code pages as well in, in on the mainframe. So everything is usually mm-hmm. formatted in EBCDIC or IBM 1047, and that doesn't play well with, with Ansible either. So that's that's also kind of some of the, th- the capabilities that we provided with our modules is being able to deal with a lot of the encoding conversions that need to happen when we're transferring files to and from uh, Ansible or to and from our control nodes to our managed nodes and dealing with different file tagging and permissions and things like that. Along those lines as well, there's, again, on the security aspect of things, to be able to run programs on the mainframe, some things require a certain level of access that normal mm. users don't have. So there's this uh, notion of basically what's called APF authorization. APF is a security facility under the covers, but you need to have the right uh, types of authorization, right? To be able to run some of the the modules that we have. So that is sometimes something that customers trip over, but really that and environment variables are the first two gotchas most of the time. Also, I think on the security side, there's always questions around what's the right way to manage you know, access, user IDs, like yeah. what kind of user IDs do I use? Do, are, are we letting, you know, each individual user have their own SSH key or do we do functional IDs, right, for these systems or even kind of somewhere in the middle where we have like functional IDs for specific roles or products, right? I think, and mm-hmm. and in that sense, there really is no right answer there because it really depends on kind of the processes that you have in place, the level of auditing that you need. So that's always an interesting discussion with our customers to really figure out what works for them, what are their requirements um, from a security and audit perspective, and really kind of come up with the best approach. And I can say this uh, from personal experiences, you can ask 20 different people in the the same company what their best opinion is on a security aspect, and everyone's going to have a different opinion and fight tooth and nail for it. I can see how at least in that aspect, it would alleviate some of the pain points for your end users. Yeah, and we, we, we've, and again, we talk with a lot of different customers and some of them are okay with like, oh, you know what, we're just going to open it up for all of our users and they can, they can run their Ansible playbooks locally against their mm-hmm. environments and we're okay with that versus others like, nope, we only need one functional ID. We need to be able to track this. <laughs> and, you know, we need to be able to also write all the logs out, right, on ZOS as well as collect them elsewhere and be able to associate who ran what and when, like mm-hmm. very locked down, which also is, you know, there's a case for that as well. It, it really varies depending on, on what their needs are. Is it, I guess, how often is it that you guys are hearing back from your end users to add more features and functionality to your Ansible modules? Is that, does that happen often or no, it's just up to you guys and what use cases you guys think would best be their needs? It's a little bit of both. We we try to engage with our customers on a fairly regular basis. So all of the collections, this entire offering that, that we're providing is all open source, actually. Mm-hmm. So you can find it all out on GitHub. We all develop out and we get a lot of GitHub issues as well. So that's one way. We also hold what's called a, with a lot of our, our close customers, we hold what's called an Ansible Guild call and that's on a monthly basis so we get all of our mainframe customers who join the call and you know we share information from Aaron, any latest updates any news but that's really also just to get all these customers in the same place to also just kind of bring their opinions to the table right bring up discussion points bring up questions explore and ask each other kind of what they're doing with ansible how they can 
get around some of these security issues or integrations with other tooling and really share those ideas. That's really the, the goal of that. And like I said, we do that on the monthly basis. So we also get a lot of feedback from there as well. And and not just our team, again, all the, all the other collections that are part of our offering, if they've got um, any new modules that they're going out with or any feedback that they want to get, this is the medium that we, we do it through. I mean, the best way you know what their need is, is just asking them directly. And I've and yeah. I've noticed that myself, at least with, with some of my vendors that like when they reach out to me, like, hey, you know, I really need like X and X. And then they go back. It does take them some time sometimes, but it is nice when they're like, hey, I suggested that. <laughs> oh, yeah. It, get, it makes you feel good. Like, hey, I <laughs> that was my idea. <laughs> so where do you see being the end state for this offering, right? Like. I know we kind of touched base a little bit on the whole CI/CD process, but in your, like, in your like, opinion, right? If someone had asked you, "Hey, you have whatever you can do, and we can give it to you tomorrow," or like, what would be your ideal, like, dream, like, and end goal? That's a really, really good question. You know, I think part of what I strive to see with you know, customers using this offering really is to one, continue to grow kind of the skills and the folks using the automation, right? And mm -hmm. I think it's really great to hear when, you know, we're working with our customers and hearing the excitement that they have and seeing how, you know, when they have all these kind of light bulb moments, right? Um, where they're like, oh, what? I, I didn't realize I can do this. This is going to save us so much time and be able to um, remove or, you know, port over some of this old automation that we had really to leverage more and more um, of this modern technology, right? I think that's mm -hmm. really one of the goals here is not just to, you know, have um, all of our customers like start using Ansible and using it for the majority of the automation, but really to open up their minds to be able to say, you know, Ansible is really cool. It's, you know, it's one of these distributed technologies and, you know, what other distributed solutions are out there that we can also start integrating right like also kind of one of the other areas that we're working closely with is you know starting to get our customers using cloud platforms as well things like red hat openshift you know we're also um, doing some work around providing like ansible operators i don't know if you how familiar you are with kubernetes operators but leveraging mm -hmm. those to do uh, resource management on zos and Again, Ansible is the underpinning of all of them, but getting customers also to first realize the power of Ansible, but then also realize the power of all these other um, more modern and cloud-like technologies. So would you say there's any other common like issues or maybe some best practices that we haven't already touched on that you think others who are using mainframe should be aware of? Yeah. So in terms of, I, I talked a little bit about some of the, the use cases, but there's definitely a lot more common things and, and other potential avenues that, that mainframe users can be using Ansible for. So we talked a little bit about provisioning, right? And management of like your different software on the mainframe, but that's, you know, there's a whole lot of interest around that. Like I mentioned, there's, there's transaction managers and databases, things like IMS, CICS, DB2, MQ, and other kind of more modern application servers like that serve like Java applications, like with uh, mm -hmm. Webster Liberty and things like that. But 
you know, you can definitely, with Ansible, look at provisioning those types of subsystems on ZOS as well as managing the configuration. I think that's a really important piece, right? Really taking that best practice around configuration as code, because that, again, is something that a lot of users typically do kind of manually, right? I might have a config for my web server written in XML that I that our customers today might be just kind of storing locally, not really using any version control or anything like that, right? And then doing kind of manual updates and deploying that as they get a request from like their app dev or something, right? But really like this is one of, another thing that one of our customers are doing is saying, you know what, how can I make this completely automated, right? Let me mm-hmm. actually hook this into a service now request and, and the, our application development team can actually provide some of those fields that we give them access to kind of change right within that configuration. And now we have all of our server config files in, in GitHub, right? And Ansible is going to pull that down, make the appropriate templating changes using some Jinja templating and variables, right? And then actually I'm going to deploy that across our test development environments, right? And and really do that in a seamless way, right? That's one of the be- best practices that you know I really try and uh, help get across with a lot of our customers. And then you know security automation. We touched a little bit on that on just some of the basic kind of day to day operations, right? That kind of mm-hmm. alleviate some of that work from our system programmers. You know that that example about you know, creating new users, but even things like password resets or another popular use cases around SSL certificate renewal, right? That's, we've heard a lot of interest from our customers or, or another popular tool that's used as a certificate management tool called Venify. And that's something that customers are using for other platforms too, not just the mainframe. But again, being able to use Ansible and, and think about some of these tools that were, that customers are using more broadly and how we could use Ansible to kind of tie those processes together. Now I have a seamless process across my distributed platform for renewing those certificates certificates as well as doing that for the mainframe too, right? Kind of harping, getting back orchestration type of use case, the Ansible mm-hmm. being the orchestrator of orchestrators, right? And that's that's one of the key use cases that we usually, we see a lot of customers starting off with, right? Because we've already got years and years of automation that customers have built on their platforms today, right? Whether it be JCL, Rec scripts, ZOSMF workflows, scripts that they're leveraging in in USS, right? Or any other automation. And we can we can interact with all of that out of the box with Ansible, right? So that's kind of the first mm-hmm. thing that I recommend a lot of users doing is just see, you know, how can I invoke some of this existing automation, right, with Ansible? And then the next step is now, how can I tie this automation right <laughs> into a process that provides even more value? And then the next step is, how can I leverage some of the value points and the capabilities that these Ansible modules now, right? The Ansible engine and some of the modules that we're providing, how can I leverage some of that? And now I can maybe start thinking about refactoring some of our old automation. So that's something, again, very important for, for our customers to really kind of I think about and kind of keep in mind as they're starting their journey with Ansible. I know, at least for myself, my first Ansible script that I wrote, besides the ones I used to learn with, right? But the actual first official one was mainly for uh, cert renewals because I hated doing that manual. It was like the worst thing. So the fact that you guys are already doing that for your end users, I know how much they're 
thankful for because yeah it's not hard but it's just so painful when you have to do it it just takes so long like two second push of a button boom done right it's it's incredible the the, i guess the last question i have is with the, the shift that we're seeing in in today's like environment with having a hybrid solution of on-prem and cloud, are you seeing a lot of people maybe have like moving their CI/CD pipelines and using this solution with pointing Ansible back to on-prem? Is that something you're seeing as well, or no? It's just been solely on-prem because of like more of a security standpoint. That's a really good question. So I'll start off by saying Ansible itself, Ansible Engine, doesn't support running on S390X architecture at all. So it's huh. already it's already in this model of the customers are running it off platform on x86 hardware coming into the mainframe and, and managing that S390X environment. And that again is is another area of debate for some people. A lot of mainframe users typically are used to again having all of their software, all of their tools running natively on the mainframe because they have all that control. They're able to access or manage all of the security requirements there, really close off the environment, right, to really make it secure. But yeah, some of the, again, some of the more progressive customers, you know, are, are more than happy to have, you know, be managing their mainframe environments from off-platform tools, and they have access to those distributed environments very easily. Sometimes that's not always the case for some other customers, right? So there's always um, some contention around having to uh, procure distributed environments, x86 environments, to be able to leverage some of these more modern tools. Makes sense, definitely. Because I know right now the biggest debate is with some organizations are nothing like cloud should touch on-prem or vice versa, right? So that's the biggest thing. And I think it all comes down to the need of the, the end user, right? Like if they do feel that is a vulnerability aspect or attack service, then it does make sense to what you were saying. Um, but again, there's, it's, it's like, it's like writing an essay, right? There's a thousand ways of doing it and everyone's going to say their way is right. 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 Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, So folks, that's going to be about it for this week's topic. I do appreciate all of you joining and and listening. Ryan, I just want to take a second and say thank you for hopping in and having this conversation with me. I've greatly enjoyed it. I've learned a great deal and I'm pretty sure the audience has as well. Just want to say thank you. Thank you, Pete. Happy to be here and hopefully I can come back again and, and share more about what we're doing. Definitely. would love to have you. All right, everyone. Thanks again, and until next week.